and welcome to News Talk. Today with me, we have a very special guest, Jim LePage of the Spike Feeders and most recently Rules Committee fame. Uh, Jim, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. It is our absolute pleasure. Um, First question, uh, I know I just named your two most notable accolades, but for any listeners who might not be familiar with you and your content, could you please give like a brief summary of who you are and what you do in the magic sphere? Sure. Yeah, we uh, well, I run a channel called the Spike Beaters, and uh, we are primarily on YouTube, although we do a little bit on Twitch. Um, not so much recently, but we have done some <laughs> stuff on Twitch. And uh, most people know about us uh, because of our connection with uh, CDH, uh, Competitive Commander, for those of you that may not know. Uh, we started making content on YouTube because we didn't really see our particular flavor of playing the game represented on YouTube. And that's usually a pretty good indication that there's a niche that's not being served. Um, so yeah, I, uh, you know, we got together a few of our friends and, and bought a camcorder and, uh, I'm not going to lie to you. We taped it to a light fixture in my dining room and we started recording the games <laughs> that we were playing. Uh, and that took off. It really resonated with a lot of people. It's a it's a way that a lot of people play, and up until that point, wasn't really represented in the content sphere. Um, so that was about four years ago. Uh, we've been running that channel ever since. We do primarily gameplay, but we also do combo explanation videos, a lot of commentary on the philosophy of the format. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we do some talking head stuff for set reviews and that kind of thing, just garden variety magic content. Um but yeah, then uh, a little while ago, two years ago, I joined the Commander Advisory Group uh, to weigh in with my thoughts on um, the direction of the format. And uh, very recently, a couple weeks ago, I was added to the Commander Rules Committee along with Olivia Gobert-Hicks. Right. Um, congratulations, by the way. Thanks. Um, yeah. So... This is the first ever expansion of the Rules Committee. It's always been the same four people since the format sort of uh, unofficially officialized itself. Um, And as such, this is kind of an unprecedented situation. So from your movement from the CAG to the Rules Committee, how do your responsibilities change and shift? It's uh, it's kind of interesting. Actually, there there have been changes in the past to the Rules Committee. Um, Notably, uh, Scott... Uh, Larrabee joined the rules committee in about 2012. Um, and there have been like a couple people that have joined for brief periods of time. Uh, the problem is it's so difficult to research this. Mm-hmm. I remember I asked this question four years ago for an article that I was writing. I used to write articles before we did video content. And uh, I was like, who's on the rules committee? And I Googled it and I could not find it because this was back in the time <laughs> when uh, the mtgcommander.net was on like Angel Fire or GeoCities oh, or something gosh. like that. <laughs> One of these old website hosting services. It had no information on it. I couldn't even figure out who was on the rules committee. Uh, I was writing an article about whether they were doing a good job in the format and I couldn't even figure out who it was. Aside from Sheldon. Everybody knows Sheldon. Right, yeah. But, um, These days, it's a lot easier to find because the website is much better than it was. But Mm -hmm. uh, I actually ended up having to do a bunch of digging in um, the MTG Salvation forums and MTG Nexus forums, uh, only one of which is still around. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it's a it's a pretty big change nonetheless. Like we're we're talking about this is the first change in a decade easily. Right. Um, Yeah. You know, one of maybe one of less than five changes to the comp the composition of the rules committee in the history of the format. Mm -hmm. Um, And now, in terms of my um, responsibilities changing. The commander advisory group is uh, just that it's an advisory group. So it's a, uh, you know, it serves as uh, a way for the commander rules committee to get a pulse check on the format. So it's intended to 
cast a wide net among um, types of players, um, among styles of players, because there's lots right. of style, styles of commander. Uh, and just to get an idea for how things are going. Um, mm-hmm. Often the commander rules committee will uh, toss out a topic for discussion, like, Hey, what do you think of this card? Or what are you seeing at events that you're going to, or, you know, is this a big problem in your LGS? And then there will be a discussion among the, uh, mm-hmm. there's currently, I believe 13 uh, commander advisory group members after the change. Uh, and that's what it is. It's an advisory capacity. They don't get a vote. They don't get an official mm-hmm. say in what happens in the format, but they do chime in with their opinions. Um, now on the rules committee, uh, you do get a vote or rather I do get a vote, uh, (laughs) on things like card bannings, rules Mm -hmm. changes, um, uh, and a few other things, but those are the two primary ones is, uh, card bannings and unbannings and rules changes. Uh, Mm -hmm. we also, uh, have an open dialogue with wizards of the coast and, uh, we give them feedback on card designs and, uh, you know, kind of give them a little bit of our input on how we think the format is going. And then that can kind of help inform their card designs and their product choices. Okay. Um, now that you've been, so what you're saying is that uh, now people can yell at you on Twitter instead of Shivam whenever they don't like something. I have a feeling they're not going to stop yelling at Shivam. That's just my prediction. <laughs> yeah, I don't, and poor Shivam. I feel so bad that he gets all that heat. <laughs> And it's not yeah, anything he's it's, ever it's, done uh, wrong. She was one of those people, and, and I say this, I say this with all of the love, is that um, he tends to to um, speak very passionately, and he kind of shoots from the hip. And yep. uh, a lot of people tend to uh, uh, go with the least charitable interpretation of what he says. Um, but you know, I, I don't foresee that changing anytime soon. And that's, that's a big part of like the, the gut reactions from Shivam is a large part of why he's valuable in the format, right? Is uh, he's going to tell you what he thinks, honestly. Yeah. And I, I think that that's something that the, that the format and the community at large benefits from, uh, despite those who decide to just, you know, think that he's being me a big meanie. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so now that you've been elevated, for lack of a better term, uh, to the rules committee, do you have any specific hopes or goals for the format that you would like to try and implement or try and push more for now that you've got a vote? I really do. Yeah. Um, this kind of came up when uh, when I was interviewing for the position. Uh, they asked me a very similar question is what what would you intend to do? If, if you uh, join the rules committee. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I see in the format that I would really like to um, improve is there can be a really tough dynamic with people uh, trying to get games in with strangers. Uh, and that's yes. <laughs> uh, in, a, in a number of settings. It's usually not in a, in a comfortable play group with your friends. Uh, it'll be like at a local game store, at your weekly commander night. It'll be at a command fest. It'll be at any number of events. Um, I'm not particularly talking about um, like CDH tournaments, even though that is a thing. Um, that's not really what I'm super concerned about. I think that there are a lot of people running those events right now that have a really good concept of what needs to be done and what needs to change in those types of events. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to touch that. But um, I do think that we can go a long way in terms of um, the experience that people have when they're playing against strangers. Um, right. And to give you a, like a, just a super high level overview of what I have in mind, um, I've long thought that 
you don't necessarily need to match power level. That's that's generally mm-hmm. what people point to when they say this is the only way I can have a good game with a stranger is if we're bringing two decks that are very similar power levels. I actually don't think that that's the case. Um, I think it's one of the components that will lead to you having a good game with strangers, but it's not the only component. And I actually don't even think right. it's the most important component. Um, it's good to have, but think about any social activity that you do with, um, even with your friends, right? Mm-hmm. The reason why you enjoy those social activities is not necessarily, you know, if you're playing pickup basketball with your friends, you don't have to be the same skill level to enjoy playing pickup basketball with your friends. You just have to go in there with the same attitude, right? Whether that's, we're going to go really hard in the paint and, and, you know, um, grind for every competitive edge, or we're just having fun. We're not keeping score. We're just like shooting hoops in my driveway as an excuse to <laughs> get out and enjoy a nice day. Right. Um, so I think that matching people up according to their, their sort of disposition towards the game that they want to play. I think that that is a much more important way to at least get people sitting at the right tables so that Mm -hmm. they can have a good discussion because the discussion isn't always possible as a way to separate people out into tables. Because if you think about the dynamic at at an LGS, Mm -hmm. you know, you put your name on a signup sheet, they're going to randomly assign you into pods, right? Um, Yes. By the time you sit down at the table and you're ready to have a rule zero discussion, it's already too late. You're already playing with those people, right? So right. there might be a little bit of fine tuning you can do with with deck selection. Um, but by the time you're sitting down at the table, you're already locked into playing with those people. Um, what I would like to see is before people are divided into pods, um, maybe ask them a quick, this is sort of something that I've been workshopping, but ask them three yes or no questions or three binary, like this or that questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then use that to separate people out into pods so that we know that when we sit down, we're at least all looking for the same thing. And that fine tuning discussion can be a little bit more effective. Right. Um, so just to give you an example of a question that you might ask is how much time do you want to spend socializing versus how much time do you want to spend focusing on the game actions? Mm-hmm. Um, Because typically, if you want to go and just play a game of Commander and you don't want to really want to go and make friends or anything like that, you might be very, very frustrated by somebody who wants to ask you about your deck, who wants to talk about what's going on in the magic world or, you know, um, you know, a podcast that they saw or the most recent episode of the Command Zone or something like that. Um, There are a lot of people out there that want to do that over a game of Commander because this is like their poker night with buddies kind of socializing. Right. so if we are able to get all of those people to the same table, they're less likely to have that sort of social friction um, that comes from misaligned um, expectations. Okay. Um, kind of along that same thought, where do you, from your experience uh, as a player, as a content creator, and all these other facets that you've been involved with the community, see the commander format heading over the next three to five years? Do you see like any sweeping shifts in uh, community tones or in or in just the meta, anything like that? Um, you know, it's really hard to say. In terms of the meta, I think that... Uh, Wizards R&D has a lot more influence, and they have since they started mm. designing cards for Commander. They have a lot more influence on the meta, mm. such as it is, uh, than the Rules Committee does. Um, the Rules Committee's... Uh, um, the scope of the Rules Committee is essentially to consume what Wizards of the Coast produces. <laughs> um, so it's, you know, if there's a, a mechanic that needs to be integrated into the game 
uh, in the context of commander, the rules committee is, is the body that does that. Mm-hmm. Um, if there are, uh, you know, things that are created by R and D, um, that are extremely problematic in the context of commander it is the mm-hmm. rules committee's, um, you know, uh, responsibility to take those out of the format. Um, but in terms of like what's popular and that kind of thing, that's not the rules committee's, um, decision, right? right? Like if, if, if R and D wants to create a card that they know is going to be popular, it's probably going to end up being popular. And you, you know, you point to cards like Atraxa as an example of that. Um, so yeah, in terms of the meta, I I don't, it's, it's impossible to tell really. Sure. Um, because most of that is going to be driven by R and D. Uh, I do think that we're kind of on the cusp of uh, car, uh, event organizers figuring out what a good commander event looks like. Um, mm-hmm. Because in the past, we're really not that far removed from commander events being, um, you know, a sectioned off uh, group of eight tables at a GP, right? Right. Uh, where it's free play. It's dedicated space, or maybe not even dedicated space, where you're getting bounced so that drafts can fire and that kind of thing. And I think that it's been kind of, there's been some growing pains with Commander getting its own events because, you know, you and I were at Richmond. Right. Richmond, you know, not a knock against the event organizers, but Richmond was essentially um, just a bunch of tables. There was a few booths and that kind of thing. There was a food vendor. Yeah, um, that was selling like I don't know soft pretzels and Gatorade and chocolate bars, um, but that's essentially all it was, right? Right. So I think when when you charge 180 or 200 bucks for a weekend, it's got to be more than that, right? It's got to be an experience you can't get with your friends, exactly. Um, yeah. And so I think that they they need to be doing a lot more now. What that looks like, who knows? Somebody's going to figure that out, and I hope they figure it out in a way that it's profitable, so that we can enjoy cool commander events as players because there's a lot of people that want them right but i don't think they necessarily know what they want yet okay um slightly similar question uh but a little bit different track as you mentioned earlier part of what got yourself in the spike feeders the level of um attention that you all have now is your play with cedh content um and while you are not on the RC as like the foremost CEDH representative of the format or anything like that, um, do you do you see CEDH potentially becoming its own separate format? Because there have been, you know, community cries for it, community cries against it. Um, do you see that ever becoming a necessity or something that would happen? I think it it could happen. Um it's not something that I, uh, I think want to see happen, mm-hmm. uh, for a couple of reasons. Usually mm-hmm. when people say, you know, CDH needs its own ban list or CDH needs its own rules committee or whatever, mm-hmm. they're, they're saying it as a response to something that has happened. So it's either, uh, CDH players are complaining about Thassa's Oracle, you know, they should go get their own format. Um, you know, CDH players, uh, have, uh, you know, a different view of what the format is or what it should be. Well, they should just mm-hmm. go make their own format. Um, there's a, a couple things that kind of stand in the way of that, just from a totally pragmatic standpoint. Uh, the first one is um, somebody needs to actually do it for it to happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, nobody with enough, uh, for lack of a better word, clout in the community has any interest in doing that. 
Um, Fair enough. <laughs> there's a couple good reasons why they don't. But you know, if you don't have like a Sheldon in the CDH community that steps up and says, "I'm going to take this format on and it'll be my thing," um, mm-hmm. then you you can't just like pick people out of the community and say, "You're doing this now." <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? Um, so uh, one of the main reasons why nobody really wants to step up and do it is because they've often seen, um, you know, examples like one V one commander, dual commander, Leviathan, all of these sort of offshoots of EDH uh, break off with their own rules committee and then eventually fail. They kind of fizzle out. Um, There's a lot of good reasons why they often fizzle out. And most of them boil down to this is not different enough from Commander mm-hmm. to convince people that they should care about following it, that they should care about building a deck specific for this format. Right. Um, and the obstacle there is, you know, I build a deck for this new format where, you know, let's say 20 more cards are banned or something like that. Uh, if the only difference is these 20 cards are banned, uh, the the hill that I have to, have to get over to convince my friends to play is... Why should we play that and not just play commander? I already have a commander deck. Why should I care about this new ban list? Why should I care about two ban lists separately? Um, so when you create a new format, um, it's got to be different enough and provide a unique enough experience uh, that people consider it to be valuable enough to them to learn something new, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the, the, there's like a couple other reasons as well. Like I, I'm, I, we could talk for an hour on each of these topics, but <laughs> the first one is not different enough. The second one is, um, to competitively balance a format like commander, you would need to ban a lot of cards. Um, that's a, that's a view that yeah. I hold. I know that there's some people in the CDH community that disagree with me, but, um, you know, as, as a very baseline, I would ban fast mana. I would probably ban fetch lands for, hmm. um, uh, round timer reasons because fetch lands out of a lot of time to games where not a lot of stuff is happening. Right. Um, I would probably ban most of the good tutors. Uh, you'd be, you'd ban a lot of the stuff that you see filling out most CDH lists these days. And yeah. the problem there is if you end up with one format where like EDH or commander um, where it's just casual and you end up with another format that's commander, but all of the good stuff is banned to make it a competitively balanced format. Mm-hmm the competitively balanced format is less powerful. So you have a sale to make. You got to be able to sell to the people that are currently playing commander. Come play this format where you're not allowed to play a whole bunch of the stuff that you're playing right now that you've already spent a lot of money on. Um, It's going to be less powerful. You're going to be able to do things less quickly and, uh, but it will be more skill testing. And I don't think that most people would make that jump. Um, And if they don't self select out of the commander pool, then they're just going to still create the same problems that they had before. And you won't, you won't end up with enough popularity in the new competitive format to actually fire events. Um, so I guess the, if the question is like, do I ever see commander splitting off? Yes, I think it could, it would have to be done in a pretty specific way to be successful, but I don't think that anybody that wants it to split off has any intention of taking that on. Mm -hmm. And if it's not successful, then people just point at it as a, a failure of CDH or the concept of CDH, and nobody wants to be responsible for that either. True. And we've seen other attempts at spinning off formats that have just 
failed drastically. We're not going to name them uh, just because of the reputation they developed in that short time. But um, yep. Uh, moving on to a little bit of a tougher subject. Um, when you and Olivia were announced as additions to the RC, um, there were obviously a lot of people who were applauding those choices because you're both very knowledgeable about the format. You're both great faces for the format and for the community. But uh, there were also a lot of concerns regarding diversity. Um, There's no real way to sugarcoat this. Uh, There were the concerns were basically rooted in the fact that it seemed at face value to be more cis het white people. And of course, I'm not saying that's exclusively true. I'm not assuming anything about anyone, but that's just what the concerns tip were pointing at. Um, I know you've addressed this a little bit on Twitter, and I know that uh, the RC as a whole has also kind of addressed this as more of a first step towards um, towards more inclusion, more expansion, but it's kind of a waiting game. <sighs> If you could just look the people who do have these concerns in the eye and speak openly to them, what would you say? I'd say it's important to me too. Um, it's 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 kind of tough being the the um, the topic, even though I'm not necessarily the target of a lot of this criticism. Um. I, I do care a lot about diversity in in uh, leadership, and I'm not gonna lie, it did cross my mind. I, I actually thought for a good week or so uh, about not proceeding with uh, the rules committee interview because I knew that this was going to be the predictable feedback, uh, and I don't want to be the person in the room that's making things less diverse or keeping things from being diverse. Um, I do think that. One of the main things that we need to be focusing on is to end up with diverse leadership. We need a lot of, we, we need to be looking further outside of our circles for good candidates in these things. And I don't think we're necessarily there yet. We're getting there. Um, diversity on the keg is a good thing because these are mm-hmm. people that we're regularly interacting with on a daily basis. We know where they are on the format. We know what their communication skills are like. Communication skills, very, very important. Right. Um, we know their understanding of why things are the way that they are today. And I think that that's uh, important. Like if a, if a rules committee seat opened up today, right? Right. Um, and I'm not saying like, I'm not saying that there is a rules committee seat opening up today or that there is one <laughs> coming up soon, but we would look to the people that we know Right. We, we, um, not necessarily the people that we're friends with, but the people that we've talked to, we're not going to like add a stranger, total stranger that we don't know who they are or what they're about to the rules committee. Um, so the process of diversifying leadership is a process of identifying the brilliant people that we know that are out there. Right. Um, Right. I've always said that when you see a, a homogenous group in a leadership capacity, especially when it's a representative leadership capacity, if it's Mm -hmm. a homogenous group of, let's say, um, all white people, right? Mm -hmm. If they're representing a group that's not 100% white, then you know that there's some biases in the selection process, right? Right. Um, Because that doesn't doesn't just happen accidentally. Um, 
it'd be the same thing if, if it was, uh, you know, a hundred percent, any, any observable trait, right? Let's say it's a hundred percent women when there's a group of 50, 50 men and women, there's some, probably some biases there. It doesn't necessarily mean that there's bias there, but there probably are because that sort of stuff doesn't happen naturally, unless we assume that there are some inherent things about those particular groups that make them more suited to leadership, which I don't subscribe to that. Right. Um, but if you see a group of, let's say, four, six, ten white men that are representing a group of, you know, a million people that are roughly the, uh, you know, ethnic make makeup of Canada, as an example, then there were some biases in the selection process. Odds are, I would put money on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so to combat that. We need to make sure that there are enough people sort of in the the system that we are aware of so that when something comes up, that we're able to select the actual best people for the job and not just the best people for, people for the job that we already know about. You know right. what I mean? Exactly. Maybe not already know about, but we need to be looking further outside of our circles to find the brilliant people that we already know are there. So part of this was to ensure part of this most recent additions to the rules committee is to ensure that we've got um, continuity mm-hmm. um, because you know the people that are uh, that were on the rules committee previously there this is uh, not like um, you know uh, it's maybe a little morbid but like actuarial tables tell us that everybody on the rules committee right now is not going to be here in fifty years right right. Um, there may be people that want to step away. Again, I'm not saying that there are, but there may be people that want to step down. We need to make sure that there's a little bit of continuity. And mm-hmm. at some point, there are going to be more rules committee positions that open up. And I'm making it my um, priority to make sure that when there is a position that opens up, that we know about the actual best people for the job. All right. Um that was a little bit of a heavier topic. So we're going to switch something a little bit sillier and lighter. Um, I feel like this is just a question that everyone who gets any sort of notoriety in the commander community gets asked, but I have to do it, especially now that you're in a position to, you know, vote on these issues. Are there any <clears throat> mechanics or uh, bans or unbans you would like to errata change mold to to fit your image of commander a little bit better any specific ones um it's kind of a tough question typically with the rules committee um (laughs) we we don't like to um we like to make decisions as a group Sure. Um, so I will underscore that even though there's, um, you know, disagreement in the group and, and multiple opinions about where the format should go, mm-hmm. um, that you'll often hear a unified voice from the rules committee itself. Um, so when a decision's made, you're not going to hear me saying, ah, you know, I was the only one in the room that didn't vote for this, or, you know, <laughs> I was the only one in the room that really wanted this to happen, but everybody else voted against me. I'm not in the business of throwing other people under the bus like that, right. you know? Of so course. when, when you hear a decision come out, like a ban or an unban, um, you're going to say, you're going to hear me say, this is the direction that we collectively decided to go. And you won't hear much more than that. Um, you know, I don't know. A lot of people don't really particularly like that. Um, mm-hmm. a lot of it is, uh, yeah. So <laughs> In terms of individual cards and individual bands, 
Um, I don't want to say too much because I know that a lot of people out there, especially, you know, if this gets posted to Reddit and somebody hears me saying, <laughs> oh, did you hear Jim say that he wants to ban Brushwag? And then suddenly, you know, the, couple, the, the, the price of Brushwag just craters, you know? Oh my God. Um, or you hear me saying, or you hear me saying, oh, Jim really wants to unban Rafelos and it's a reserve list card. So like 10 people go uh-huh. out and buy a copy of Rafelos <laughs> and now it's $1,000 or something like that. So I don't want to be responsible for anything like that. I, 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 I want that. to try and minimize my personal impact on the secondary market um, sure you know i'm not an employee of watsi i have no problem acknowledging the fact that the secondary <laughs> market is a thing um, but i just want to be really conscious of of my impact on it sure and i completely understand that and don't ever I mean, we don't want to put you in a position that that makes your job a lot harder or a lot worse um would there be uh, not bans and unbans? Would there be any mechanics you would like to change how they work? Like uh, one of the most common examples we see is hybrid mana out for debate over how that should work. Is that something you would like to see changed or anything in that line? Or do you still not feel comfortable really addressing those? I mean, so this is a bit of an interesting thing um, because I, I have had a lot of, um, I have written a lot. I've made a lot of videos with my personal opinions on a lot of these topics. Um, mm-hmm. You can find them uh, on our YouTube channel under a series called Spike on the Mic. Uh, and we actually did an episode about hybrid mana. So I, I am comfortable going over everything that I went over in that hybrid mana episode, which is basically um, uh, let's set the record straight on why th- on the way things are and why they are the way that they are. Um, mm-hmm. I will say that the reason why things are the way that they are intuitively makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not particularly swayed by um, Mark Rosewater's argument that he thinks it should be, uh, it should function according to the way that the developers intended, uh, mm-hmm. because I think that the way that the developers intended it to work um, preceded the concept of color identity entirely. Um, sure. You know, when, uh, when, the de- those same developers were developing cards, they were intending that you should be able to splash red in your deck to include Lightning Bolt. And that's just not the way that Commander works. So right. nobody is going to take a look at the way that um, Lightning Bolt was designed, which is if you want to include one mountain in your deck to cast Lightning Bolt or a City of Brass or something like that, then you should be reasonably able to include that in your deck. Um, that That is how the original developers of Magic intended for the game to be played. And that mm-hmm. does not line up with the concept of color identity just fundamentally right so i'm not particularly swayed by mark rosewater's argument because you know a lot of people point to him as an authority for how hybrid mana should work um when he's not an authority on color identity he is a he's an authority on the way that the cards were designed but he didn't invent color identity and i don't think that his opinion is more or less relevant than say your opinion or you know the people at my ogs right. um i understand why people want hybrid mana to work um, as an or and not an and. But I also um, feel really strongly that color identity is intended to be a restriction on deck building. Uh, So when you get to the fringes of how the rule is applied and, and hybrid mana is one of those fringe things. And so is devoid. And so is, um, you know, off color fetches and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. There are a lot of these things that are, that are right on the line. Mm -hmm. We have to decide, you know, whether they're in or out. Um, and so I think the way that, uh, that color identity is often applied is it leans towards being more restrictive than less restrictive. Um, right. And I like that. 
So, you know, when it comes to other mechanics and stuff like that, I do have things that I would have really liked. Like when Flash was banned, um, my preferred resolution for that was mm-hmm. I would rather see Flash get errated. I, I think that that's a perfect solution to the problem of Flash. I think that the card is a templating mistake. Mm-hmm. And I think that it is a pretty strong candidate for power level errata. Um, I think that the way that it functions is not healthy and it's not intended. Um, like if you think about the concept of flash, it's intended mm-hmm. to let you cast a creature at instant speed. That's sure. not what the card does. It lets you essentially evoke a creature for two mana. Um, <laughs> right. That's not flash, right? <laughs> like it's not called evoke. <laughs> it's called flash, right? True. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if, if I had my way, I would probably eradicate it so that it works along the same lines as Mox Diamond, where, you know, you're able to play this artifact for free, but it's got a downside. And if you don't pay the downside, which in the, in the case of Mox Diamond is discarding a land, it goes to your graveyard instead of going into play. It, it's not a go into play and then sacrifice it because you mm-hmm. would be able to tap Mox Diamond while the sacrifice ability is on the stack. Um, so if you don't discard a land to play Mox Diamond, it just goes straight, straight to your graveyard. And I think that's the way the flash should work as well. Um, give you a chance okay. to pay the cost of the creature less two mana for flash. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you don't, then it just goes straight to your graveyard. So in that in that vein, uh, would that be would that cause the creature to technically die, or would it be more akin to exiling or just blatantly like leaving the battlefield? Entomb, gotcha. It would be like an entomb, just go straight from your hand to the battle or to the graveyard. Granted, I, I should say that the reason why I'm comfortable talking about that <laughs> is because the rules committee has no has nothing to do with errata. Um, that is totally outside of the purview <laughs> of what the rules committee does. Um, so that's just my opinion as a magic player. <laughs> um, also, you all heard yeah. it here first. So there's Mark like a few Rosewater other things. Don't know crap. <laughs> <laughs> I think Mark Rosewater is a really smart guy. I just think that he's uh, um, that his opinion on this is not uh, any more compelling as as other people whose opinion that I respect. You know, true. For the record. Our listeners are kind of used to me, you know, cracking those jokes. I in no way, shape or form think that's your actual opinion. (laughs) (laughs) I want to be very clear about that. Um, But okay, uh, that just about wraps us up right here. Um, I know you've mentioned it uh, earlier, some of the places that you can be found, but more specifically for our listeners, where can they find you if they're not following you yet? Yeah, you can hit me up uh, on Twitter at JimTSF. Uh, you can follow us on YouTube. That's at uh, Spike Feeders. Uh, we also have a Flesh and Blood channel. If you're into Flesh and Blood, we uh, it's called Spike Feeders Fab. Uh, you can also reach us uh, as a group, the Spike Feeders, at the Spike Feeders on Twitter. Uh, or you can join our Discord. The link to our Discord is in all of our YouTube videos. Uh, and you can message me on Discord. I'm uh, Jim, hashtag uh, 3087. Uh, you can always shoot me a DM. I'm notoriously bad at responding to DMs. Uh, I got a lot of them in a day. And uh, it's... <laughs> generally when I'm responding to DMS, I tend to put off the ones that require a lot more mental effort than the ones that are just like quick <laughs> yes or no answers to things. If it requires scheduling, if it requires an in-depth discussion, it will take me longer to get back to you just to set expectations. <laughs> <laughs> that makes our thanks for you actually coming on the podcast that much more. Cause that's how we reach out to you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. Uh, speaking of which, thank you again for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. This was great.